I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Hi, everybody. How's it going out there? Hi. So no, my name is Suzanne, a.k.a. Kitten on the Keys, and I'm here to warm you up. So, I know, I love this. So, my first song um, is from 1929, and it's called Taint No Sin to Take Off Your Skin and Dance Around in Your Bones. That's getting awful naked, folks. I, I certainly do like this Baldwin grand piano here. Woo, it's fancy. Dancing made this and that and help you take up lots of fat. I'm no friend of dancing when it's hot. So if you're dancing fool who loves to dance but you can't keep cool. Bear in mind this idea that I've got. When it gets to hot comfort and can't eat ice cream cones, take no sin, take off your skin, dance around your bones. With the lazy syncopation of the music softly mounts, take no sin, take off your skin, dance around your bones. Polar bears are not green up in Greenland, but they got the right idea. They think it's great to refrigerate while we roll commate down here. Be like the bamboo babies on the South Sea tropic zones. Take no sin, take off your skin and dance. Dance around your bones. Sweetie, on the hothouse telephone, take no sin, take off your skin, dance around your bones. When you're on a crowded dance floor neath the red hot sacks, it bounds. Take no sin, take off your skin and dance around in your bones. Take a look at the girls while they're dancing. Notice the way that they're dressed. They wear silken clothes without any hose. And nobody knows the rest. That is shocking. If a gal wears x-ray dresses and shows everything that she owns Chain no sin to take off your skin and you can dance Dance around in your bones Thank you Are you getting a little warmer? I certainly hope so Now this next song is so popular in the rest homes I play in it's so good, but I need your help. Are you ready to get your inner songbird to come out, people? Okay, this next song is from the late teens, and it's called Let's All Sing Like the Birdies Sing. 
So I'll be kind of, it's a little waltzy thing, and I'll be um, singing and kind of cueing you, and you can chirp and tweet and whistle and just have a good old time. So we all like to pucker up and blow, right? Awesome! Okay, here we go. part, okay? So uh, I'll start that again, and when you hear this little melody, you'll be like, oh my God, that's me. Okay. Let's all sing like the birdies sing. Tweet, 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 tweet. Oh my God, you're awesome. Let's all sing like the birdies sing. Tweet, 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 tweet. Let's all warble like nightingales. Give your throat a treat. Take your time from the birds. Now you all know the words. What are they? Tweet, 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 tweet. Tweet, 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 tweet. Oh, you're good. Sweet, 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 sweet. Let's all warble like nightingales. Give your throat a treat. Take your time from the birds. Now you all know the words. Let's make them hear it all the way in Gavin Newsom's office across the street in that little green and red building. How does it go? Tweet, 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 tweet. Yay! You are awesome songbirds. Okay, I guess I'm going through perimenopause up here. Either that or I totally have warmed you up. So um, I have one more song. It's going to be great. It's, it's a standard must-do. It's San Francisco. Now, I ain't no Jeanette McDonald. She can really sing super-duper loud. And, you know, I love this long-term thinking thing. I've been doing some long-term thinking, and I've been storing some nuts. Okay. It's been a long time since I wore this dress. I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> Sounds Christmassy. It only takes a tiny corner this great big world to make a place that you love my home upon the hill I find I love you still I've been away but now I'm back to tell you everybody San Francisco
singing along. And uh, you're all excellent, excellent participators. So this is Lost Landscapes number five. And tonight we have Rick Prellinger of the Prellinger Library and Archives. And uh, this is put on by the Long Now Foundation. And uh, they do have a monthly seminar series. And I would like to welcome to the stage, for the second year in a row, Mr. Stuart Brand of the Long Now Foundation! This is a rowdy-sounding audience, but I learned something else tonight. Before the show, I was out wandering in the lobby, and what I see is this long, thin, beautifully organized line going all the way around the lobby and down the hall over here. And I asked one of the staff here, wow, who organized that? And they said, uh, nobody did anything. The audience organized themselves that way. <laughs> Which makes me think that a long-term thinking audience is really into fair play and queuing up or something like that. Or maybe it's the, the Rick Prelinger audience. Ah, that's what's really going on. People who respect the past, respect the present, and the other people in the present with them. That's cool. You know, maybe a mystery will be answered tonight. The mystery to me is you go into a restaurant and there's photographs of the town in San Francisco, it's San Francisco. They're old photographs, they're decades old. Even if the restaurant has only been there two weeks. <laughs> and so what is the message? It seems like the restaurant is trying to say, we're a part of this great dynamic city, and one of the wonderful things about cities is they change all the time, and we're here to blend in with that and respect that, and we hope that our restaurant lasts longer than two weeks and that it will be here to be part of photographs 40 years from now. That happens to approximately none of them. <laughs> so that sort of fastening the past on the wall is some kind of reaching or grasping or clutching for the future. And I guess that's part of what brings us back year after year to see these old images of Rick Prelinger's, and here they come. So, can you hear me? Well, I can't see you, so I guess that's fair exchange. Um, thanks so much for coming. It's hard to believe that this is the fifth Lost Landscape show. I wonder where we'll be in five more years. Nominations are welcome. Um, I'm going to begin with a few shout-outs. I'd like to introduce our three commentators. These are people who have the, the privilege or the burden of carrying a microphone. And they're sitting up there. Um, there's Woody LeBounty from the uh, Western Neighborhoods Project. There's Ed Holmes of the San Francisco Mime Troupe, longtime troublemaker. And for the first time in the press box, Megan Allison Wade, native San Franciscan and urban historian. Thank you in advance. Um, I'd also like to thank the Long Now people who've worked very, very hard, the amazing tech crew here at Herbst Theater, a highly professional venue, Suzanne for the song and John Law for the dogs. Um, 
So, uh, two little points of business. Number one, um, this show will be repeated sometime early next year. I don't have a date yet, but at the spanking new Internet Archive gathering room at Funston and Clement. So if you're on my mailing list, you'll hear about it. So for all the people that couldn't come, there's going to be one more chance. Second, on um, January 12 of next year at Counterpulse, there will be the first West Coast screening of Lost Landscapes of Detroit, which um, is an interesting show, um, complicated and kind of, I think it's a, a, a well, it's a thought-provoking and smart footage. I don't know about the comment. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, I hope you can come see that. That's Counterpulse at 9th and Mission on um, January 12th. So this is a seminar on long-term thinking, and I'm going to begin with a few long-term thoughts to maybe keep in mind throughout this experience, and shortly we'll begin. Um, as I assembled this year's show, one thing I was reminded was that it doesn't only show what has changed in San Francisco, but what remains the same. We are still a port of entry for people and for goods, even if most of them now arrive by air and land instead of by sea. We're still a place where people come to make art and culture, especially unusual art. Um, and as it was with Playland and the Barbary Coast, we love the places where we go to party and to play, but we tend to shut them down when they spin too far out of control. And we're also lucky to live in a place where nature and culture rub right up against one another, which is a pleasure, but it gets complicated when the coyotes run loose in the parks. So for these and other reasons, I often wonder whether uh, the title Lost Landscapes does justice to our city. It's easier to list what's disappeared. It's easier to say how much fun we used to have, easier to long for a glowing irretrievable past, easier to do all these and more than it is to think hard thoughts about growth and change. So I want to say that the city has a history like none other, and that's why there's over 900 of us in this room tonight. But I also want to say let's bounce the future off of the past. Let's use historical images to help shape the future of San Francisco. What do we see in these clips that we might want to have back or bring back? And equally important, what's actually improved? So I'm saying I don't want to get caught up in a discourse of loss. I'd be happier to talk about making the future. And I'd like to talk about history for just a moment. It's been very difficult. As, as an archivist, I believe it's been very difficult to get many historical records out of their analog purgatory. And it's still hard to make new things out of many digital archives. But inevitably, we're moving toward greater access to historical materials. For people like me, uh, archivists and historians who might or might not have a degree, this could be an age of great promise. But I would ask this, is it going to be Paris in the 1920s or Moscow in the 1920s? Are ideas, projects, theories going to reverberate over decades to come? Or are we in a temporary bloom before we lose our imagination, our archives, our funding, or our freedom of expression? This is up to us. Um, as we expand access to historical materials and we develop new tools to touch them and transform them, will people care? One of the things I'm noticing, at least in my field, um, is that actual historical images are starting to take second place to reconstructions and simulations. You know, simulations can be more immersive. They can show events from angles where there were no cameras. They can bring in sound where none was taken. And they can fit into newly shot material much more cleanly. And I know, you know, producers are always thinking, why use old clips? 
when you can build fancier new ones on a desktop, right? So in this scheme, historical material, all of our archives, they become just templates for reconstruction, and the original images can fade into obscurity. Now, simulations can be cool, but I worry about replacing original records with reconstructions because we only have one chance, a single chance, to document an event, and we have infinite opportunities to reconstruct it the way it never was. And given time, um, fictional narratives have a funny way of pushing actual narratives into the background. You know, not only do we believe what we want to believe or what's convenient for us to believe, but I think the more vivid stories get, the greater their power is to drive the actual stories out of public memory. This has been and could be dangerous. Um, I hope that easy access to the historical record and it's getting a lot easier. You know, history is going to be part of our infrastructure. It'll be all around us. It already is with some of the new augmented reality apps. I hope that easy access to the historical record doesn't foster indifference towards history. I hope that an overabundance of facts doesn't distance us further from knowledge. I hope that the simultaneity of past and present that we can now experience if we want to doesn't cause us to substitute ambience for consequence, to separate causes from effects. But as, we see, as we're going to see tonight, there's something very special about actual historical images that no simulation can match. So finally, this is a, a critical moment for archives. There are many archives in this country, and many of them do uncommonly great work. But a lot of them don't have the resources to collect and preserve everything that they should. Individuals and community groups uh, frequently step in where archives can't or won't save historical materials. And maybe even worse, most archives lack the resources or the mindset to actively push collections back out to the public. Archives sometimes seem like places where the historical record goes to die. I think they should instead be places of origin where new works are born and old works are rebirthed. So we need to help archives do their work better. And, you know, I've got 900 of you archivally conscious to some degree or other, so this is my plea. This means advocating for historical consciousness as the world accelerates and helping archives get the support they need to stay open and flourish. And as citizens, we need to accept some of the responsibility for collecting and preserving history and not simply expect others to save it all just because we think they're out there. Be your own archivist. Everyone should be their own archivist. And it's because of citizen archivists and collectors that tonight's, that tonight's show contains about 75 to 80 percent new material. You know, in previous years, it's been like 40 or 50 percent new. Some of you in the audience and others who aren't here tonight have generously given us film or shared your family films with us. I thank you all. And if you don't see it this year, you'll probably see it next year. I also want to um, especially thank the California Historical Society for giving me access to their moving image collection, which really hasn't been seen before. So you're going to see the results. And finally, remember, this is an interactive show. You are the soundtrack. The majority of the material is silent. And you, goaded by the commentators up in the balcony, you are responsible for asking questions, for shouting out IDs, for discussions, for rants. This is not church. You are the soundtrack. Um, so let's begin, and thanks so much.
You remember, Mr. This has become a tradition with every year's screening, but this is Mr. John Summers, member of the, uh, the Shriners Lodge, who shot a rather gorgeous Kodachrome movie, a little palsied, but still gorgeous, of San Francisco in summer 1941. And here he is flying in. Take a look at that treasure island. This is going to be important later. There will be a question. We're coming into SFO. You never really know, do you? (laughs) Yeah, are the house lights bothering you? Can we... Let's bring them down a little bit. Would that be possible? How's that? I'd love... Yes, I'd like that. Yeah, us too. Us too. <clears throat> take the take the lights down on us. Yes. Here's a model for the future. What year was SFO built? Mills Field, I believe, around thirty thirty one. Earlier. And here it is, about 1930. That's where I park my car. <laughs> and this is the old Bayshore Highway. Congestion, price, and needed. It's about 1962. The stick. Amazing how similar it looks. San Francisco. A city that promises you something and keeps her promise. A city that dares you to discover her for yourself in your own way, on your own terms. For no matter who you are or where you come from or what you like to do, something exciting and wonderful and different happens to you in San Francisco. This so is this is about 1945-46. Tourist. <laughs> I think we're still having problems with raccoons today. These are films from the California Historical Society that I don't think have been seen much, if at all, since 45-46. That's a bird farm. Uh, 1945 or 46. This is a, a Russian uh, ship in port. Wow. <laughs> and the mats and lines pier. And I believe a French ship. Oh, no, this is the Lilani, a Matson ship. 
watch out for tarantulas. <laughs> and uh, longshoremen, the leaders of the radical labor movement in San Francisco. Now, this is the short-lived uh, air ferry between the East Bay and San Francisco. <laughs> this was... Um, no, it really is. This, uh, this operated until 1933 and when a fatality put them out of business. Um, and this, you know, I'm kind of trying to stay away from the whole Fisherman's Wharf thing, but this is the late 20s or early 30s before it was heavily commercialized, and I think it's quite neat. see mention of those crabs in old literature about the city louder. a lot. The louder, crabs. louder. Sorry. <laughs> this I put in for Gray Brecken. <laughs> now, okay, we're here sometime around 45, 46, and Treasure Island's burning up. I was unable to find anything out on this. Does anybody know? Looks like the Great Tire Fire or something. <laughs> Military It does, doesn't it? Doesn't exist anywhere. Um. Yeah, you're going to have to yell. I'm sorry. Okay. Testing. It hasn't been anything interesting. Perfect. <laughs> you haven't missed anything. This is footage that uh, comes through the courtesy of Mr. Scott Stark and um, shot, what do you think, around the late 30s, I believe. We'll see them later in living color. Yerba Buena Island? <laughs> Look at that color. Powerful what? <laughs> <laughs> Here's some tourists about 1959. This is a, a bit unusual, this clip, and you'll see why. You can see inmates in the yard. Wow. Here's another ferry ride. This is a lot earlier. This is, um, I'm going to say around 30, what, what stage of the bridge is this? 33, 34 maybe? Still not done. Somebody had to say that one. <laughs> Scenes from Rincon Hill. I'm beginning to realize a lot of people climb the hill to pose in front of the new bridge. You see this scene quite a lot. That's a big bridge.
key system here. Oh, the key system was the interurban railway that ran into the Transbay Terminal, as we see in 1941. But they also operated ferries, and let's shed a tear. Transbay Terminal. Oh, RIP. Imagine we once had interurban transport. Why did they tear down that beautiful freeway? (laughs) (laughs) You can get right to Chinatown. It was... <laughs> this is Second Street towards Bryan. Is that what David's telling me behind? Yeah. Rail traffic. <laughs> I think the film's going backwards, Rick. <laughs> That's on Second Street, right? And um, this is the Barbary Coast around 1914. Some of you may have seen this clip. I've used it before, but I couldn't avoid using it again. It's, um, it's not clear whether this comes from a dramatic film or an actuality film. Uh, there is a tiny bit of narrative, but you know it only takes two frames for there to be a narrative. So I don't, uh, you'll see in a moment, but. It's probably Pacific, Pacific or... Pacific, yeah, or Jackson. Jackson, yeah, one of the other. So sailors on the town. Say again? Inside, exactly. Don't ask. Don't tell. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're in 1931, and the neighborhoods become derelict. Um, This is movie. This film was shot by Rick Laubscher's family. Rick uh, runs the Market Street Railway, and our fabulous historic streetcars, and has. Family had an eye for the urban landscape pretty early. And we're going to spend a few minutes revisiting the G family again this year. Uh, Kathy G and her Two of her cousins are here as well. And um, I think this is such... Commodore Stockton School, thank you.
These are rides at Playland at the Beach. Playland was where the Safeway is at the beach and uh, some condominiums in front of it. And now we're in the Richmond district. Who's this? <laughs> Get a unicycle, one less tire. Is this a Washington High School prom? Yeah. yeah. Go Eagles. <laughs> the, that's the call bulletin. <coughs> Work those kids hard. <laughs> Snow. Oh. Is that Snow in the higher elevations up on Miraloma. Yeah, it's up on Portola, right? This Miraloma Cafe. Some of you may remember the Streets of San Francisco episode shot on that block. And this is, um, uh, this is 15th Avenue when it was an exciting place to live. <laughs> <laughs> it still is. <laughs> Those kids aren't giving any money. centuries, there have been cities that fascinated the human mind and inspired its creative impulses. Cities that had a flavor all their own, attracting painters and poets, storytellers and musicians, and nourishing their imaginations. San Francisco is such a city. Begun as a Spanish mission and military settlement in 1776, it became a seaport city almost overnight when gold was discovered in the Sierra Hills in 1848. As the city grew, it retained and enriched its world-born traditions of tolerance, hospitality, and good living. With its wharfs and hills, its people from many lands, and its notable sophistication, it has held unceasing fascination for those to whom a great city well may be a lively, many-sided place 
of happy adventure, of beauty, and of inspiration. Have you ever experienced the astounding sight of San Francisco's cable cars? Elsewhere, means of transportation are prosaic utilities. But then, San Francisco is different. Its scenes and activities constantly reveal the unusual, the quaint, and the beautiful. No wonder that artists from all parts of the world have come to live and work in San Francisco. Many of them live on Telegraph Hill. Their colorful houses and flats perch like goats on the steep sides of the hill above the waterfront. This smiling Chinese worked as a houseboy and a cook only a few years ago. Now he is considered one of the finest watercolorists in America. This is Don King. Together with another painter, a young American of Greek descent, he walked down the hill to find a place suitable for sketching. The bay with its silvery span and ships from all the seas has always offered an exciting challenge to San Francisco painters. Dong attended art school at night, and to what he learned of Western technique, he added the secrets of brush drawing as they've been handed down among the Chinese through many centuries. San Francisco is a city of spectacular surprises. Within a stone's throw of the busy downtown section, in a continuation of the very street we see, there is Sunday calm and stillness, and the nostalgic atmosphere of bygone days. In the attics and upper stories of high-ceilinged, old-fashioned buildings, housing wine warehouses and small broom factories, studios have mushroomed, breaking with skylights into the monotony of black-tarred roofs. Once this studio was a storage loft. When the artist first moved in years ago, spiders had spun elaborate webs and water leaked through the ceiling. The artist cleaned out the cobwebs, repaired the leaks, and filled the place with canvases and paint boxes, brushes and flats. But otherwise, he left it as it was before. Of all places housing artists in the city, the Montgomery Block has the oldest tradition. Behind these barrack windows, George Sterling wrote some of his finest poems. Frank Norris wrote novels here, and so did Charles and Kathleen Norris. Once this massive building of brick and stone contained San Francisco's first law library. Once high-hatted, wax-mustached lawyers and stockbrokers had offices here. But in the 90s, artists began to move in. Now, it's the now probably Pyramid. more artists live in the Montgomery block than what could find living under any roof elsewhere in the country. The rent is low, there is romance of the building's past, and there is always another artist next door from whom to borrow a brush or some pastel. Twice a week, the sculptor comes to the art school to teach a younger generation the meaning and the technique of his art. Crawling down one of the slopes of Russian Hill with spacious studios and gardens, the California School of Fine Arts is the second oldest art school in America. 
The very atmosphere of its location overlooking the Latin Quarter and the Bay is inspiring to young people in their study of the arts. Latin Quarter was North Beach and uh, Columbus. Montgomery Block was torn down for a parking lot. was the first analysis of the San Francisco hipster. <laughs> Taylor Street? Market Street, the east-west dividing line, is the favorite starting point for exploring expeditions that fan out all over the peninsula. Buying flowers at stands north of Market is a daily custom. Everybody wears a flower, especially the smartly dressed women who come to shop or to lunch in the heart of San Francisco's fashionable shopping district that surrounds the city's central meeting place, Union Square. for American Airlines. It doesn't have a lot of words in it. Used to be four tracks across Market Street. Roar of the Four. And this was the streetcar strike. What year was that? 49, I believe. Um, and people parked on Market. <laughs> like they're in church. I thought they were torn out earlier than that. Now, I figured you've all seen the beautiful 1906 film, so we're not going to focus on that tonight, but it's um, easily available online. Instead, we're going to um, look at uh, about 50 years later. Yeah, this is mid-market, uh, yeah. all the theaters that were there. Yeah, the Civic Center Hotel was visible. That's a Gary car coming in there. They should bring streetcars back to Gary Street. Yep. The 38 is the busiest transit line west of the Mississippi. Don't worry, soon they're going to have BART there. <laughs> That's what they told us in the 50s. Yeah. 
Remember when C's was deliciously fresh? <laughs> so this is early 30s and somebody's dancing the hula in the middle of Market Street. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> That's right. Ooh. We'll revisit this crowd a little bit later. That hair is an achievement. So, um, this is an outtake from a radical film made about 1968-69. I believe it's from a film called Off the Pigs, and it shows member of, members of the Black Panther Party uh, postering in the Western edition. right? Yeah. Yeah, this is the fashionable Alamo Square area. Um, the source of this clip is it's an outtake that was given to me by California Newsreel, um, which is the descendant of Newsreel, the collective that made the film in the 60s. Paste is more permanent. <laughs> There's Kirby's. This is uh, Divisadero and Fulton. That's, of course, Huey Newton in the chair, by the way, and Emery Douglas's art, and some of you may remember. The Liner Liquor Lobby, now the Fly Bar, 762 Divisadero. This is also Fillmore Film Street. Um, can somebody talk a little bit about the gravity cars? I'm not an expert. Or the counter. I'm not an expert either, but <laughs> <laughs> basically one car would come down and I, I believe it pulled the other one up. Is that right? I think so. This, this was a two-car cable car line. They had one on Castro Street too, right? Yeah. Yes, which was scrapped yeah. for... Uh, surplus for uh, recycle during the war. It was a regular one. It wasn't a gravity. Yeah. Okay. Castro was not a gravity. My bad. <laughs> I think it was late 30s, but I... I I don't know. And Ooh. this film Dorothy is through the Arnold. courtesy of the Luzinki family. Um, uh, and we'll see some more of their 
rather amazing footage. Uh, it's, uh, it's footage that was shot by uh, Mrs. Uh, Luzinki, who was born Catherine Bailey, and, um, her, uh, and, uh, and Victor Luzinki. And it's... Um, They were just hanging around Joe DiMaggio's wedding. Is that what's going on? 20,000 people came to the uh -huh. wedding. I mean, not that were not invited. <laughs> Jefferson Street. Newsreel cameramen move in to cover it. Hey, I got a restaurant we can have our reception at. I think they're in front of his restaurant. So every year um, at May Day, the, the pupils of San Francisco dancing schools turned out, sometimes in Golden Gate Park, and today I think this is Kizar. And this is a very big deal. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, it's uh, Elmer Robertson. Is that right? Robinson. Elmer Robinson was the mayor. <laughs> the early 50s. This, I think, is just after the war. And this is a parade to support the Allies. I believe this is 1940 to 41. Perhaps uh, Mr. Luzinki can correct me. Um, we don't have an exact date established yet, but these are all representatives of the Allied countries. Lowe's Forbidden City. Malta, bulwark of the Mediterranean. And these are the Free French. This is the Cross of Lorraine. And here we move to Kizar Stadium. These are films from the same family. This is a rather amazing event. Go Niners. Wow, Judah Ben-Hur would have no chance against this.
Oh no, watch out! <laughs> Our work is done. We're going to get the children's carousel tomorrow. <laughs> and this is, uh, again, just after World War II, the cable cars have been decorated for Christmas. I cut that down from about six minutes. Sunshine touches every hand in parks where children play. Over the hills and all along the way, we're building a dream for tomorrow. We're building a dream for tomorrow. It's a wicked earworm. We're building a dream for tomorrow. Bicycles in the last car. <laughs> in three counties, BART is building a high-speed rail rapid transit system, planned for your convenience, designed for your comfort, and deliberately aimed at giving you a safer, faster, more economical ride than your automobile. Fully aware, as Lewis Mumford says, that. that a city exists not for the constant passage of motor cars, but for the care and culture of men. Woo! Cities will maintain their character too, unscarred by heavy concrete swathes of freeway. Freeways that carry the extravagance of one car, one passenger, mostly at a standstill. Instead, BART trains carrying thousands of comfortably seated passengers will glide Pushy quietly seats. through the bay tube, under the ferry building, and into the Market Street subway. So when you climb across Market Street or ride a bus that's been detoured, remember that your surface difficulties are temporary. Still not done. While below ground here, <laughs> and in the other two urban core cities, Oakland and Berkeley, 975 sandhogs are tunneling 21 miles of subway. And when it's completed, you and the Bay Area will not only feel better, you'll both look better. In the Powell Street station, you'll look Market something Street like this. Market Street will never this. look better, though. Along the way, you may stop at a magazine stand, buy commute tickets from the automatic vending machine, enjoy the clean, spacious, architect-designed station. <laughs> so 
So, um, the Marina Green, late 20s or early 30s. This um, footage comes to us through the courtesy of Thad Povey, who I hope is here. Thank you. That was a, that was a gas... Um, I don't know how that works. Who knows how that gas stuff works? A gasometer, it expands and <laughs> contracts with a... It's the Marina Safeway now, isn't it? And this is, I think, uh, 48, 49, the Freedom Train traveled around the country with the documents of, of freedom and parked on the Marina Green. That came out in the 70s, too. I went to the Marina, I mean, the Freedom Train. The fog here has a beauty all its own. It drifts and billows in from the sea, thick and silent. Here, the fog is seldom sinister or depressing, as you may know it elsewhere. <laughs> Here, the natives boast they have a special kind of fog that befits a special kind of city. A city with a fabled landmark that is known the world over. The Golden Gate. The Golden Gate of San Francisco. And this is uh, some more early post-war material. Six dollars. <laughs> paying to leave. Yeah. They don't even have the little yellow things dividing them. <laughs> You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> oh. Steinhardt Aquarium. The old D. Young Museum. Oh, oh you, don't you like the rusty aircraft carrier they got now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The de Young Memorial Museum is popular with the boys of the Army. They all stop at the gun room, which traces the development of weapons through the centuries up to the modern tank. <laughs> you see, the de Young is essentially a people's museum. It is a family museum. It is the kind of place people enjoy in the way they enjoy stories of distant lands in bygone days. To stroll through these galleries does something to you. Time and space contract. If it weren't for the guards about, you could practically touch what by right belongs in other centuries and other parts of the globe. Mr. DeYoung intended it to always be free. And, um, He's dead. Strawberry, <laughs> Strawberry Island, and I believe it's the very early 30s. 
These rocks are still there. People in the 30s had such small feet. But the fountain is no longer, you no longer, this has been uh, cemented over. And there's a new bridge. Thank God. <laughs> so this family kind of drank their way, this, I don't know if it's a family, these hipsters kind of drank their way through the Bay Area, but they didn't do very much of it in San Francisco. But I, I'll, I did my best to find you a little bit of, uh, of Prohibition-era inebriation. Excellent. That's one of the things you find in Prohibition home movies, that people are constantly shooting, each, shooting themselves drinking. <laughs> Wasn't that the deer hunter? What do you mean? <laughs> This is what I get for sharing my family films with you. <laughs> Just need a snack. <laughs> And we're by one of the lakes in the park. Now, in those days, you needed a prescription to buy liquor legally, remember? <laughs> it's true. Depends. Buffalo. They're bison. I counted 20. Um, I might be off by one or two, but they were, the herd was, um, it seemed a lot healthier back then. They used to have deer and sheep in the park, too. Yes, that's right. This is from the collection of Mr. Scott Stark, Lux College, 17th and Petrero. What's that building now? Oh, yeah, what is that building now? The uh -huh. Lux School merged with Lick and Wilmerding, I think. So now it's all Lick Wilmerding. Yeah, Lux was the girls' school. We're just going to see one of the models today because, you know, we can't be here all night.
So this is a sequence from like a film that was made by like Newsreel. I don't like San Francisco. I'm sorry, but I live in this country, but I don't like it. I love so much my country. I love so much my family. And my people in my country, the Mexico, Nicaragua, San Salvador, I like it. We poor people have to work too much. We have to work too much, you know, and too hard. That's all we live. All the, the landlords get our money and the roaches get our food. We pay so much for so little. We, we actually live in rat traps because we pay too much money for what we're getting. And they raise any time they want. Why don't they get after the landlords? And so we all, all the time we're getting jumped, really. They have a bigger plan that is defined by the uh, corporate giants uh, to make part of the mission Wall Street West. They're going to build a financial uh, district within the mission. Uh, they intend to move out uh, all the brown people as an unskilled labor class. Uh, this is part of a mass extermination of, of a people. In my head, I believe that the, the, the Spanish people are the color people. So, discrimination, this country is discrimination. There's discrimination in this country. It's true, okay, discrimination in this country. I, you know, I said, why did I have to be a Mexican? Because, you know, everybody told me, you know, Mexican is bad, and Mexican is this, and Mexican is lazy, and Mexican is bad, you know. And, you know, so I said, why have to be a Mexican? Sometimes, before I used to feel I didn't want to go out with my mother no place. I didn't want to go to a supermarket with her. I didn't want to go out on a picnic with her. And I didn't want to go to this and that place, you know, because she was a Mexican man. I just wish she doesn't hear this. Because I'm ashamed of myself because I thought like that. They blind you, you know, that you got parents here, you know. You got parents that you're working for. They blind you, you know. Instead of, uh, instead of helping them, you turn against them. The parents are, are at work and they're at home taking care of the other children. They're not really aware of the problems that their older sons are going through. We ain't got no place to go, first of all. Second of all, we have no money to go to the places that they want us to go. For example, the, the, the bowling alleys and the car races and the horses and all this. All this, you know, like... Um, all these, you know, like where you can spend money at. So where do we go? We go to the pool hall and uh, we watch the people play, you know, and we play ourselves with whatever candy things we scrap out to play for an hour. Or we hustle, you know, like uh, we play five games or uh, whoever wins five games, you know, the loser pays the time and all this. So after a while, we spend all our money, we go outside, outside the pool hall and the doorsteps and we stand, you know, we stand out there and bullshit, you know, we talk and all this. So this film was made uh, as part of a campaign to free seven men who were arrested uh, for the shooting of a police officer on Alvarado Street. They were acquitted a, a year or two later, called Los Siete de la Raza. This is, this is now the hipster, the hipster mall. Pete's. Rick, this incarnation is hipster heavy um, this year. We saw this last year. I couldn't resist putting it again. It's from Scott Stark and David Gallagher. Has, um, takes the credit for discovering that this is the intersection of Monterey 
San Jose Avenue and Juiced in, in Glen Park. This is what, about 1939-ish, I believe. And this is the beauty of Kodachrome, which if it's kept cool and dry, will look this way for a couple hundred years. If you have any Kodachrome, get it in by the end of the year because the last lab is closing down the production line this month. Thank you, Carrie. December 30th at Dwayne's Photo in Kansas. These are the same people that took the ferry ride at the beginning. When home movies show people uh, doing their jobs, that's always kind of a doubly fascinating, and this is a family business as well, so there's just lots going on here. This may be the young Rig Lobsher. I'm not 100% sure. But this is what, uh, Sunset Heights? Okay. So it's somewhere between 1918 and 1920. And this is the Sunset District Glider Club. And we're going to see it a couple times. Um, and I think some people in the balcony have some idea where this may be shot. Well, you know, we'd heard a lot about the gliders, and I was just hoping that in my lifetime I would see a picture of them. I never thought I'd see them in uh, film. You, you think you knew where that was, Megan? You were telling me with that. Oh, um, there's one shot where it looks like it's looking north over the park towards the Richmond from maybe Golden Gate Heights, maybe mid-20s, but I... We may have missed that shot already. We'll see it slow down in a moment, but this is footage of the dunes before they were fully built up. Oh, there we go. So we're, we're thinking maybe that building, that large building we saw in the background is the old Conservatory of Music building, which was on Ortega and 19th Avenue it originally was a orphanage called the Infant Shelter, and it was built around 1918, I think. So it would be quite new. Yeah, and it was off in the distance, looking more east when they panned back. This was a piece of film that showed up in a basement in, on 23rd Avenue, and it needs some help. Uh-huh. And this comes to us from the Western Neighborhoods Project. It's a film made by uh, Mr. Post, who shot a lot of the very early San Francisco films. You see, people used to think he shot Market Street in 1906, but he did not. Um, and it's uh, introducing Westwood Park. This is uh, Miramar Avenue at Ocean Avenue today, looking north. 
away he goes. <laughs> so this neighborhood was made accessible by the opening of the Twin Peaks Tunnel. It was developed by uh, Baldwin and Howell, and it was a bungalow community. It was all bungalows, which were an architectural rage at the time. So if you don't know where Westwood Park is, it's just west of where City College is, north of Ocean Avenue, in the land of fog and stucco. <laughs> that house is still there. It's on Southgate and Miramar. cross was burned when the first black family moved in that neighborhood in the 60s. Oh, that was Ingleside Terraces, which is close mm -hmm. to here. Mm -hmm. And behind, it's all Sutros. That's still there. That's Java and Ocean at Faxon. <laughs> if you've had a coffee there, Faxon and Ocean Avenue. Yeah, it's a nice place. And that's the, where the Walgreens parking lot is. This was an early movie theater. It was called the Balboa. And then when the Balboa Theater opened on Balboa Street, it was called the New Balboa. Mm Oh, really? That's where the fruit barn is. This building's still there. That's Sutro Forest. It went all the way over the hill down Mount Davidson, and they cut all those trees to build uh, Westwood Highlands and Monterey Heights. This is farther up the hill in Westwood Highlands. What do you want to do? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> it's cold. It's foggy. It's windy. <laughs> Don't go uphill. <laughs> Some of the fondest memories of the city recall San Francisco at night after the skyline has been painted gold by a Pacific sunset. Then, under the night sky, it puts on a bright new costume, like a dancer before the footlights. 
Chinatown bursts into brilliant color and her pagodas rise from a lake of light filled with bustle and laughter. Fisherman's Wharf is ready to serve its discriminating diners until the small hours of the morning. <laughs> and San Franciscans, to whom good food is a part of good living, congregate in the city's famous restaurants. Dishes are prepared here by chefs whose sauces, salads, and meats bear the honored approval of their brother chefs in Europe. <laughs> San Francisco, youngest of the renowned cities of world reputation, stamped with a mixed culture from both east and west, and bearing on her seven hills the ultimate of charm and beauty. And oh. we're here at Fleischhacker Pool. Yeah, that's the bathhouse. Six million gallons of seawater. It's the zoo parking lot today. Cold, yes. Yeah, they, they had promotional shots where they'd have lifeguards in rowboats actually having to patrol. Fleischacker's closed for good in 71, I think it was. They had a ballot initiative to try to save it, and it failed. So the Legion of Honor was only a year too old when this was filmed. The Legion of Honor was built on an old cemetery, and when they did renovations in 94, they found a whole bunch of bodies. <laughs> Highly recommend uh, uh, Trina Lopez's film on the cemeteries. What's it called? The last, the second final rest. And this is um, Sutra Heights Park, probably a year or two before the mansion was torn down, but unfortunately, the mansion is absent in this in this film. <laughs> Why don't men wear hats anymore?
<laughs> right in front of the sign. That was some pretty exciting footage. <laughs> Great highway, um, briefly, a little bit set, and then we're right after the war again here. Lots of cars. That pier was a water pipe that sucked up the ocean water and pumped it all the way down to Bush and Larkin Street for the Olympic Saltwater Company. They used it to bathe in down there. This is the Sky Tram. And the Whitney brothers, who own the Cliff House and Playland, they decided they were going to add this amusement. And it went from the Cliff House over across where Sutro Baths is, that little cove, to uh, the rocky outcrop across. It went about three miles an hour. <laughs> and it was only like 500 yards long. It wasn't very popular. It, it, was just, it opened in the 50s. It lasted about five years, I think. The sand is, uh, has um, risen up above all those steps now, almost everywhere. This is our annual tribute to Playland. I would love it if any of you have Playland films to help me uh, change the footage a little bit. And I'm especially looking for footage of Sutra Baths. It, it turns out outside of a, uh, the Hollywood film that takes place there, there's very little home movie footage of Sutra Baths. The lineup. It's on YouTube, the sequence. It's well worth uh, looking at. Laughing Sal. And this is um, turn it down. after Playland closed, the destruction. In 72. Closed, I think, September 72. Yes. Yeah, that's mentioned in the movie that's been running at the Balboa. It was a good movie, the Playland at the Beach movie. Why did it close? Deteriorating interest it, over time. It's right? a long story, really. But a developer wanted to build on it, and uh, it had kind of gotten run down. That's the old pump house that took the seawater out down to Bush and Larkin. This is Playland, so they're destroying all the old buildings and rides. It's funny, we have some footage on our website of the auction they had before they closed it, and you could have got this huge Alpine racer roller coaster for a hundred bucks. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All condominiums now. And a Safeway. Yeah. A little bit of the front of uh, Sutro's. Ooh. This is sometime in the 30s. 
and the fabulous Sutra Baths. Let's build them again. Yes. I believe that we're actually in a, a, uh, an airship. These are outtakes from a film made by the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Oh, you know, it's between 56 and 62. It's very, very fluid um, when this was shot. I, I can't tell you exactly. Why did the baths close? Um, they had gotten run down. They, they stopped making money, too. People didn't want to go bathing inside there anymore. They cut it. They cut the bathing. They put an ice skating rink in. They tried a lot of different things. And then supposedly, uh, it may have been arson, but when they were starting to tear it down, the whole thing burned in a big fire in 66. So I couldn't end uh, the program without taking us to the Farallons, which is actually in San Francisco. It's in Supervisorial District 1. Nice. Um, although I don't think anybody votes there. This is sometime in the 40s and 50s. It's a little hard to say. It looks very, very different now. They're, they've taken out many of the buildings, although the crane has, has also been replaced. That's the only way you get up is by being hoisted up. But um, it's certainly one of the most interesting and hardest to step on parts of San Francisco. And it's fishing trip. <laughs> oh. Don't eat that. Thanks to all of them and thanks to all of you for coming. Just a couple questions, Rick. One is, you have so much more stuff this year. Is that because you're getting a lot more stuff coming in? Is the traffic increasing or what? Um, it's... This is the beast I have to feed every year to get more material. It's really, really difficult. And even in the fall, I was a little worried about it. But people have been incredibly generous. And many of, some of these I've acquired myself. But the show has been made by people's contributions. Keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to thank not only Rick and the fabulous work of everybody putting in this material, our panelists, Ed Holmes, Woody Labonte, Megan Allison Wade and our Shantus, who's left, Suzanne Ramsey, thank you for coming. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening.
I'm Stuart Brand.